Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Doesn't that get you fired up for the sermon? Great job by John Bryan, who is our video guy. Awesome work on that. We, we have a great creative services team who, who works hard to bring the messages into focus. And let's face it, I can use all the help I can get. They work hard to create you know, the graphics and all the things on, this, on, this, on the stage here and even uh, work on our video stuff. Speaking of which, if you want to serve, the church in a unique way. You could serve as a part of our creative services team. In fact, John Bryan would love to teach you how to use a camera. Just let us know you want to do that. Stop and tell someone in the comments or send us an email. We'd love to get you involved. Yeah, so we're in the middle of this series called The Kingdom. And the kingdom is, is uh, what we're focusing on. We've been describing the kingdom as the reign, simply put, as the reign of God and Christ in the world. Simply put, that's how we've been describing the kingdom as, as the reign and the rule, really, of, of God and Christ in the world. You might think to yourself, yeah, 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 I'd like to see some more evidence of the reign of God in the world. Or you might say, I'd like to see, I'd like to see any evidence at all of the reign of God in the world. I don't see it. I'm not feeling it. You look around the world, and maybe you see, and you're concerned about the deterioration of society. Or maybe you look out in the world and, and you see, you see um, a, a lack of justice. You have a great sense of injustice about the things you see and you're concerned. Or maybe you see the rising tide of hatred and divide in our culture. And you say, I want to see the evidence of the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom? Well, remember this. The point of the kingdom is that we, might be the material reality of God, of Christ in the world. You want to see more of the kingdom? Well, listen, I'm speaking to those of you who follow Christ. It falls on our shoulders. We are to be the material reality of the kingdom in this world. And you could say this, the kingdom agenda, if there's an agenda for the kingdom of God, it's that the world would be reordered around the love of God through Christ. That's what the people of God are to be about. You hear that? Reordering society, culture, this world, wherever you find yourself, around the love of God through Christ. That's what we want to see in this world. We are to be the material reality of God. So God uses people. That's one of the amazing things about all this. In his great wisdom, in his sovereignty, God reigns through his people. This is how the kingdom of God comes to be. So being a Christian means that you have a new sense of life. You have a new sense of purpose. You are part of a new coming kingdom. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, the material reality of him in this world. And we can have an impact in these days. Through the power of Christ that lives in us. Yeah, that's what we're called to be. Let me tell you about two P 
people, two residents, so to speak, of the kingdom of God, two of God's people. I think this will help us understand this parable that John so wonderfully read today. The first person really needs no introduction if you've been around Christ Church for, for any amount of time. Pastor John Guest. Got a great picture of Pastor John I want to show you here. If you've been around Christ Church, then, then you are familiar with John Guest. If you're not familiar with John, let me tell you a little bit about him. I'll tell you about two milestones in his life. The first occurred in 1954, the same year that Elvis hit the scene, by the way. It's fitting for Pastor John if you know him. In 1954, Pastor John, John Guest, came to Christ, surrendered his life to Jesus, at a Billy Graham crusade in London. It's a big moment, of course, in anyone's life, certainly for Pastor John. And then, just seven years later, 1961, John Guest was ordained for ministry. So 54, 61, those are, those are big years, milestone moments in his life. Let's put that in perspective. Okay, I got a list of things here to help you understand the, what John, how long he's been following Christ. Let me put this in perspective for you. Okay, First of all, during the time since John came to Christ, there have been 12 U.S. presidents, seven of whom served two terms. Since the time that John came to Christ, the moon landing has occurred. Uh, we had the popularization of color television since John Guest came to Christ. This man's like a walking museum, people. Okay? The fall of the Berlin Wall. JFK and MLK were, were both assassinated. The Vietnam War, the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, and the Gulf Wars all took place since Pastor John came to Christ and, and was ordained. The terrorist attacks, of course, of 9-11. I mean, when Pastor John came to Christ, Alaska and Hawaii weren't U.S. states. That's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, we are talking about 66 years of following Christ. 66 years. 59 years of ministry, ordained ministry. Isn't that amazing? What an accomplishment. It's worthy of, a, it's worthy of a, a salute to Pastor John, absolutely. You know, Pastor John, and I'm not even getting into the ministry. We don't have time for all that. But, but I will tell you just a snippet. John was a part of crusades. You have a picture here on the screen. And, and these crusades visited 30 cities in the United States. He also went on crusades and led them in 30 international cities. He's literally gone all over the world and shared the good news about Jesus. It's, it's truly remarkable. So there's Pastor John's resume. John Guest's resume, pretty significant. Now, let me introduce you to another person who's a part of our church. His name is Tim Mashan. Okay, I got a picture of Tim too. Aren't these great pictures? Gordon Ovenshine, who serves in the body of Christ here, a member of the church, took these photos. Every member ministry, believe in that. Love those pictures. Gordon, thank you. Tim is very new to Christ Church. Tim came to Christ Church in the past year, during 2020. What a great time to come to be a part of the church. What an interesting time to be a part of the church. Tim actually got connected to Christ Church through our, our, our live stream online. He's one of the people, like you maybe, who was watching during the pandemic, and, and he was interacting with us on YouTube. In fact, if you're live streaming right now, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us, worshiping, engaging. We trust the Spirit of the Lord that's moving among us here 
is also touching you. And our hope is that you will interact with us. Pastor Doug Rary is online right now. And Pastor Doug would love to, to pray for you, chat with you, engage with you. Please hello to him. Well, Tim engaged with Pastor Doug. And his life has been transformed and changed during the past months through God's power. This isn't about us. It's about what God has done. And God has touched the life of Tim Mishan in such a way that he was baptized. We got a picture of it. Pastor Doug baptizing him just a few weeks ago on September 20th. Tim was baptized uh, into the faith as a part of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Isn't that an awesome thing? I love that. Also worthy of a salute. But I mean, think about it. If you consider Pastor John and Tim side by side, and I think we have a photo of them together, okay? If we consider these two guys side by side, I mean, compared to Pastor John, Tim is still drying off from the waters of baptism. I mean, it's like, it's like no, no comparison, 66 years of following Jesus. I, I, Tim hasn't been following Christ for six months, I don't think, necessarily. And that's not to diminish what's happening in his life. But it's an interesting comparison. You might wonder, well, why are you telling us about John and Tim? Well, I want to show you something. And I believe that this is really just mind-blowing to me. According to the parable that you just heard John Poyster read, here's what we know about these two men. Despite the great difference in life experience, both are equally forgiven by God. Both are equally, equally washed in the blood of Jesus. Both are equally justified and accepted. Isn't that incredible? I mean, one who has a resume that we could talk about the whole sermon, another who's brand new to Christ, and both are on equal footing. That's what this parable teaches us. And for some of you, you look at this and you think, oh, that doesn't sound very fair. That, that, that doesn't seem fair, right? That, that John Guest and Tim Mashan would be considered the same, would be equal. It doesn't seem like it's fair. Well, this, my friends, is what you might call the scandal, the scandalous nature of the grace of God. The scandal of grace is the unbelievable goodness and generosity of God to all of us. That's touched John Guest's life. That's touched Tim Mishan's life. Listen, it's touched my life. It's touched your life. And if you really think about it, whether you're at home or with us this morning, if you really think about it, you think to yourself, wow, God has saved me from incredible brokenness and misguidedness and sin. And it's only his goodness. It's only his generosity that would allow me to be equals with anyone in the nature of grace. Amen? Amen. It's true. And so we should reflect that to the world. I think it's one of the points of this parable is this understanding that there's a quality of forgiveness and, and cleansing and justification and acceptance in the kingdom of God only through God's grace. And when we truly come to grips with this, when we recognize the lavish, and it is lavish, lavish generosity of God's mercy, that is a game changer in terms of our kingdom perspective. That's a kingdom game changer. 
when you and I finally come to an understanding of what God has done for us through his grace and his mercy, how generous he's been to us. Kingdom game changer. I think it changes the way we live our lives. I believe it changes the way we see the world. It changes and transforms our minds so that we see everything as an opportunity to be a part of God's kingdom work. So we're going to talk more about Tim Mashan and John Guest this morning because I think these two men can help us understand this parable. And I think it's a difficult parable to understand in Matthew 20. So let's go there. I want to pull out two themes. I want to draw out two themes this morning for us. The first is about attitude. It's about attitude. Some of you are parents right now who have kids next to you. are like elbowing them saying, so you listen to this right now. You got a bad attitude, right? You're kind of ready for this one. So let's talk about attitude. I believe that this theme is spoken to in the context of this passage. Let's go to first the Matthew 19 before I talk about attitude. Let's go to Matthew 19. And I think this is important whenever we're reading scriptures. We, we not only want to look at the passage at hand, but we want to consider what's said before the passage at hand. And we want to consider what happens afterwards. It, it gives us a sense of context, a sense of place when reading the scriptures. So let me take you to Matthew 19. These are the words that immediately precede the parable that we're studying today. And in this scenario, the disciples have just encountered a guy who came to Jesus asking how you inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says some things about the fact that, that it's difficult for those who are rich in this world to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Peter has a question based on this. Matthew 19, verse 27, check it out. Peter answered him. He said, well, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We left everything, he said. Well, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So we get this context, right? This parable, and this is the conversation they're having. And I believe this, you know, we know this about Peter, if you read the scriptures. If you're familiar with the apostle Peter and his life, certainly someone whose shoulders we stand upon, certainly an important figure in the church. I don't want to throw shade at him, but I will say this about Peter he is prone to self-righteousness. Have you seen that in the life of Peter? If you know any of the stories about him, you know that he's prone to self-righteousness. He's prone to self-conceit. And I know this. If we can tell that by reading the scriptures, I guarantee you that Jesus was well aware that Peter was prone to self-righteousness. He knew it. And so I think Jesus knowing that, knowing our hearts, he tells them this parable as an attitude check. Jesus tells them this parable to check their pride and to teach Peter and his friends humility. And so he goes into this parable. Now, I want to bring this into our context because I believe that there is a tendency in the human heart, certainly among people who are part of a church, to feel like maybe we're entitled to preferential treatment. To feel like maybe 
we owe something or we deserve something because we come to church every week or because we've given money to the church or because we've served or we've gone on a mission trip. It's really easy to think, you know, I'm one of the people who's in the inside circle and I'm worthy of preferential treatment. Let me tell you what this is like. I had a taste of this just a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I got up here and I sang as a part of the worship team. Were you here for that? Okay, I sang as a part of the worship team. It was great to have that opportunity. I sang a little bit. It was honestly pretty pathetic, right? But people clapped for me. I mean, it was like I got a round of applause, which was really sweet. And I think that's because, hey, I like you, you like me. You know, we love one another. There's a sense of, a, you know, we appreciate one another. I totally respect that. But people were treating me like I was Lionel Richie up here. <laughs> For you millennials, like the weekend, okay? They were treating me like I was, you know, some, somebody who was actually good up here singing. Brad and Marcus and Michael and Andrew here, we, they get no applause. And I get all this applause. You know what? Preferential treatment. <laughs> I got a little taste of that. Preferential treatment. I appreciate the love. Thank you. I'll say this, though. In the church... We do have a tendency to drift towards preferential treatment. Let me tell you how. Okay, three ways. One, we tend to drift towards people who are similar and then not pay attention to those who are different. In the church, we have a tendency to value insiders over outsiders. In the church, we have a tendency to, to value those who are powerful noteworthy over those who are vulnerable. I mean, let's be honest. If we really search our whole hearts, we know that that's our tendency to drift in that direction. The powerful, the noteworthy, the similar, the people who are insiders. And it seems like Jesus, though, when we read the parables, when we read the stories, the accounts of his life, he was for those who were different, those who were vulnerable, those who were outsiders. That's who Jesus was consistently for. We have a tendency to, to like preferential treatment. We give it out. We like to receive it. Hey, we probably think about Pastor John and hearing all that and think, hey, shouldn't we build a, pa a statue of Pastor John out in the commons to celebrate his life? He deserves some preferential treatment. That's the, that's the way the human mind thinks. Well, this parable emphasizes the right attitude, the right attitude of kingdom people, I think it's incredibly challenging for all of us. So historically, if you look at this, the audience that Jesus would have been speaking to, historically, Jewish Christians had a difficult time accepting Gentile Christians. Gentiles meaning those who are Jewish, okay? And, and they, they wanted them to become Jews. They wanted them to become Jewish first. We've read about this, if you've been with us during the past months, in the New Testament. You see, they looked at the Gentiles and they thought, well, they're different. They don't, have, they don't follow the Mosaic law. And they looked at the Jews and they said, they're outsiders. They, they don't prescribe to circumcision like we do. I mean, weren't the Jews, the Jewish Christians, entitled to preferential treatment? Hadn't they been working in the vineyard of God all along? This was the thinking. And this is why Jesus, I believe, one of the reasons he tells this story. The parable frustrates those who consider themselves to be especially pious and those who are looking forward to preferential treatment. It is an attitude check. 
What are you in it for? Why do you do this? Why do you show up here? Look at Matthew 20. Let's go to the parable. Let me read you a few verses from this. I'll pick up in verse 9. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and also each received a denarius. So when those who uh, were hired first, that was, let me start again. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Hey, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Where's the union manager? Where's the union rep? I want to talk to him. You get this? But he answered one of them. He said, am I, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Listen, we should not serve God because we want to receive some kind of expected reward. This is the attitude check. We don't serve God because we're looking for the, the, the payout. We don't serve God because we're looking for what we got coming to us. God doesn't owe us anything. It's an attitude check for all of us. You know, if we go back to John and Tim, I think, again, they can help us understand this. Pastor John, John Guest, was not saved for 66 years ago. He has not been serving in the church for 60 years so that he could receive some sort of reward. Talk to him. That's not his point. In fact, I believe Pastor John's desire is that the world would be reordered around the love of God through Christ. He wants to be a part of that material reality of the kingdom. And Pastor John, I know this, celebrates the fact that people are coming to Christ, much like Tim Mashan. That's his reward. That's what he's looking for. A kingdom attitude recognizes, it sees this very clearly, that God is infinitely generous and gracious and will give us better than we even deserve. So that's the attitude check, my friends. Where are you today? Why are you here? Why do you serve? Why do you give? I pray that all of us would check our attitudes and do it as a reflection of God's generosity and grace to us for his glory and his glory alone. That's the first theme I wanted to pull out. The second theme I want to pull out is, is one that I think you're, is Pittsburghers. You're going to love this. It's about work ethic. And even if at home you're not in the Pittsburgh area, you'll get this too. Let's talk about work ethic because I think this parable speaks to this. Okay? A little historical context once again. The parable actually reflects the economic realities of Jesus' day. So you kind of get the sense from this parable that there are people along the road, standing out by fields, who are waiting to be hired. You see, there was tremendous and widespread unemployment in these times. You ever been on a, on a mission trip, perhaps, or gone somewhere on, on, a, on a business trip, or, or even for pleasure, to a third world nation? That's what we call them, an impoverished nation. When you go there, you, you'll see this kind of thing happening today, where there's not great economic development, where there's not great opportunity. You'll see people lined up in villages along the road, 
hoping that someone comes by and says, hey, I need help moving something. Hey, I help, need help today putting a roof on this house. They're, they're looking for someone to hire them. This is a reality in the world. You know, I love that Jesus is in touch with the, with the, the culture of the day. I love that Jesus understands the problems that people are facing. He understood it then, he understands it now. And there were many vineyards in Israel in, East, in the Eastern Mediterranean. And those vineyards, of course, needed workers. They needed workers to dig ditches for irrigation. They needed uh, workers to, to uh, dress the vines. They needed workers to, to harvest clusters of grapes, like I have right here, a little snack break in the midst of the sermon. Don't you wish you were me? You have to have a little snack in between. So yeah, there were economic realities of the day. Jesus is addressing these things. And back in these times, the work day was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sun up to sundown. Think about that. You talk about your, your labor work laws and your union work reps. 12-hour days. And the wage in this case is a denarius which is equivalent to 50 cents. Sorry about the grape I'm chewing right now. I'm sure it's distracting. I'll stop eating the grapes. So that's the, the historical content here, context. Let's go to Matthew 20, verses three through, three through six. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again. About noon. And about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Let's make this really plain and simple. The gospel, I'm sorry, the kingdom is like a vineyard. Think of the kingdom like a vineyard. That's what this parable is telling us. God is looking for people to work in his vineyard, in his kingdom. You see it? That, that's a point of this parable. And here's the question that's asked of those who Jesus encountered or the landowner encountered here. Why are you standing around? Why are you doing nothing? So let me ask you a question to quote the scriptures. Why are you standing around? Why are you doing nothing? And let's be honest. How engaged, and I'm asking myself the same question. It's not just you. How engaged are you? I don't care if you work on the church staff. I don't, I don't care if you're a missionary, like our friend Matt Geppert, who you're going to hear from later on. You're brand new to the church like Tim. How engaged are you? Are you standing around? I mean, if you examine yourself, are you doing nothing? I went to spin class recently. I know you can't tell. I went to spin class recently, and um, I like to cycle. I like to do the indoor cycling thing. And I walked in. There were a group of women who were talking to each other, kind of huddled around some, some bikes. And I heard them talking. And they were all complaining about the fact that their husbands and their children never put their dishes in the dishwasher. They leave them in the sink. Okay, they were going off about this. They were going to town. They were angry. It's like they were getting ready to really work out hard. And they were trying to build up their frustration and get it out there, you know. And I was like, okay, enough of this. Let's get the class started. Well, I went home and I told my wife about this. I said, these women were complaining about their husbands and kids not, not like, you know, putting the, the dishes in the dishwasher. And she looked at me and she said, amen. 
all right. And then she motioned to the kitchen. She said, welcome to my vineyard. Why are you standing around doing nothing? Unbelievable. <laughs> you feel this, right? We, we, we have a tendency to go idle. Listen, our tasks are the works of the gospel. Good news, you don't have to dig a ditch necessarily. God might call you to do that. Our tasks are the works of the gospel, not to till fields, fields and vineyards. And, and not only that, I would say this to you, our tasks are to benefit our neighbors, not to amass riches or to pile up honors. That's the work of the vineyard. That's what we're called to. Let's go back to John and Tim again. Here's our picture of them, okay? Pastor John, when he came to Christ, I talked to him this week about this. When he came to Christ 66 years ago, he jumped right in. Like he went right to work. He literally started ministering in the workplace. He was working a little job. He started ministering in the workplace from the get-go. And, and then he was, he was um, going into hospitals and ministering there, going to pray for people who were sick. He was teaching Sunday school from the get-go. And you're like, well, well, Pastor John's special. He, no, 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 no. Maybe the reason that Pastor John is, is Pastor John is because he did those things from the get-go. He understood that I'm called to the vineyard. Here I am to work. Roll up the sleeves. Give me some gloves. Here I am, 12 hours. I'll put my shift in. Maybe that's why Pastor John is the Pastor John we celebrate and we clap for today, isn't it? Because he got to work. Not only that, you know, he, he was a part of a Christian band. And they went to college campuses in the 60s. And he actually partnered up with Billy Graham, who was part of his crusades in the 60s. John said, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm here to work. Put me in. I love that. Tim Mashan's doing the same thing. I mean, Tim just came to Christ in the past months. He's been baptized. He took a step. He became a member just a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, Tim, if you're listening right now, if you're here or if you're online, Tim, that's a great start. We're really, we're really proud of you. But there's more. And I would say it to everyone here. If you're a member of this church, awesome. That's a great step. There's more. Come work in the vineyard. There is work to be done. What are you doing? What are you doing in the church? If we look within the church, man, you could serve children. You could serve youth. You could serve widows. You could serve the veterans. You could partner with Urban Impact. I'm looking down here at Ed and Tammy Glover. There are so many things that we can do as a part of the ministry of the church. We can also enact our faith and work in the vineyard in ways that don't necessarily serve the local church here. We could serve our neighbors. We could share our faith. Are you doing anything? Are you doing anything? Are you just standing around? There's too much at stake for us to be standing idle. I think you understand that. So don't stand around. Take the Lord's invitation to engage in the kingdom work of serving our neighbors. And bringing glory to God. That's what this is all about. I believe that's a message from this parable. Do you see it? It's there for us today. Okay, there's two things I need to clarify as we bring this to a conclusion because this is important. Stay with me here. The first one is this. Don't think from anything in this parable. Please don't. Please don't think from anything in this parable that salvation is in the slightest degree, even the slightest degree, obtained through works. 
It is not. You don't work for your salvation. I mean, to believe that would absolutely upend everything we know about the scriptures. It would totally contradict what the Bible has to say. Let me point you to a great scripture, Galatians 2.16. You can write that one down and look it up. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works, not by working in the vineyard, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, underline, no one will be justified. Very clear. So whatever you as a believer receive from God is only by the grace of God. It's not a debt that God owes. God doesn't owe us anything. It's not like we've worked for him, so he owes us. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. That's the first thing I want to clarify. The second one is equally important, perhaps even more important this morning. And that's this. Don't think that it's safe for anyone to put off faith in Christ until later. You might read this and think, hey, I'm just going to wait till the 11th hour. I'm just going to wait till later. I'm going to keep putting God off and wait till another day because, hey, evidently, I'll get the same wage no matter what. So I'm going to do me. I'm going to live my life. Look, don't think that way. Don't live that way. Because I can tell you this, there is great joy in taking up the assignment to work in God's vineyard. Man, working in God's vineyard is the most redeeming work. It is the most fulfilling work. Whether he has to dig in a ditch or eating the grapes to taste them and see if they, they, they're the right grapes. It is the best work that you and I could possibly give ourselves to. It's the work of the kingdom. You know, the longer that people refuse to obey Christ's voice, the less likely they are to ever heed his voice. There's stats from Barna, George Barna. And, and the stats that they've taken, that they've measured, tell us that as a person becomes older, they become less likely to give themselves to the gospel, to surrender to, to the grace and mercy and goodness of the Lord. Less likely to do that. And that data doesn't necessarily tell me something about God. It tells me something about people. And that says we grow older, we get more stuck in our ways. We become more stubborn. We become more prideful. Listen, it's not too late to turn to God and receive his wage. He's hiring. And he would love to hire you. In fact, he's calling you right now. Right now, he's saying to you, hey, will you come work for me? I want you on my team. I need your hands in my vineyard. Come and work for me. I have a beautiful vineyard and much for us to do together. Will you come and take my call? I love you. I've given my son, Jesus, to pay for your sins, to reconcile all that. Come. It's not too late.
Still a lot of work to do. He's hiring. Will you stand around and do nothing? Will you stand by and be idle? I would hope you wouldn't be. Let's not be that way. Okay, John and Tim, one last time. John Guest, Tim Mishan, thank you, God, for these men. You know, we do celebrate what God is doing in Tim's life. His journey is just beginning. What a great journey. He's just taken up the work of being in the vineyard. Pastor John, on the other hand, it's been his delight to continue, and he's continuing. He was just here this morning serving in ministry, to continue to work in the Lord's vineyard and serve for these 66 years. And I could tell you, here's what he's been working for, that lives would be transformed in Christ's church. And I love it. These guys on the screen, both of them are equally forgiven. Both of them are equally washed in the blood of Jesus. Both of them are equally justified and accepted. I'll tell you this. True faith in Christ, even if it's just a day old, even if it's just a day old, true faith in Christ justifies a person before God as completely as the faith of a person who's followed Christ for 60 years. Glory to God for that. That is available for all of you. That is the truth of God for you today. I want to pray over you as we consider these words. And then I have a way that you can actually get involved in the vineyard. Got some work for us to do. Let's pray, though, first. Oh, Lord, we do come before you. And as we consider the words of the scriptures here, we thank you that we've been forgiven through Christ, washed in his blood, justified, accepted only through him. Oh, Lord, we're grateful. And thank you, Lord, that that grace and that goodness and that generosity is available to everyone. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would put a heart in us to work in your vineyard, to not stand by idle anymore, but to engage our lives for the purposes of bringing the material reality of your kingdom to this earth. And Lord, for those who have been looking for a job, who are looking to be hired, I pray and say, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to work for that kind of master. I'd like to work for that kind of boss. And I'm not looking for a payout. I simply want to have the purpose and the freedom that comes from being one of God's workers through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by our works, that it's through faith and grace alone, through Jesus, that we could be a part of your vineyard team. Help us, God, to be a people who are engaged, who pick up the shovel and pick up the rake and get to work. For the glory of your namesake, so that others would know you and know Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.